With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome to your non-game, post-game Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means in a Zoom room full of tech subscribers on a Saturday afternoon. We just forced these people, and some of you out there listening, you watched it too, to watch this Indiana-Michigan State game. This kicked off at noon on Saturday, and that's what this post-game podcast is going to be. Obviously, Ohio State and Maryland, if things had gone according to plan, would be playing right now. Nathan Baird would be in Maryland, it was a 3.30 kickoff. It was canceled because of positive COVID tests in the Maryland program. So Indiana beat Michigan State, shut out Michigan State, 24 nothing on Saturday afternoon. And they are now scheduled as Ohio State's next opponent, the Indiana Hoosiers, coming to Ohio Stadium next week. So we watched this, and we want to do a postgame podcast on that because Indiana is the team that everyone is talking about. The Hoosiers are now 4-0. They are a top 10 team. Nathan Baird, you are the person among us who is voting in the AP poll and having to figure out where Indiana fits into everything. What did you think of the Indiana Hoosiers in their game against Michigan State on Saturday? You know, I think I voted Indiana something like 12th or 13th last week, and this game didn't make me think I need to vote them any higher than that. Um, We'll see what happens above them, I guess, in the rankings this week. Uh, Michigan State is truly awful. And I thought coming into the season that I thought Michigan State was going to be pretty bad. And I want to take nothing away from Indiana. Obviously played a good game for the most part, although I think it was pretty sloppy game as well for them. But this this game doesn't tell me anything about how much better – what 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 Ohio State – what Indiana's chances are beating Ohio State. Um, the, the chasm between Ohio State's talent level and Michigan State's talent level right now is significant. So we don't want to get that, and I don't. I don't want this to get bogged in, down in this awful I, Michigan State. I, I don't have any understanding of how they beat Michigan. I, I can't. I can't wrap my head around it. So we have to be able to try to focus on what Indiana is or isn't. But it's it's hard to do that in trying to get around just sort of basic fundamental Michigan State incompetence on Saturday. Steven, what, what was your thought process about the Hoosiers as you watched that game unfold on Saturday? Uh, I saw an offense that can allow Ohio State secondary to actually be tested, even if it's not necessarily from a talent standpoint. It's just 
Michael Penix is a decent quarterback. And as you text out to the Texans, I think we're going to see a lot of man coverage from Ohio State against this type of passing attack. There's enough there to where if there's any improvement, this is kind of Sean Wade's chance to show that he showed some improvement as an outside corner. Seven Banks' his chance to validate him as a starter and maybe whoever is in the slot on those third down situations, whether it's Marcus Williamson or maybe Ryan Watts, maybe carves out a role for himself. I just think this is a chance for the secondary to tell us all to shut up and everything is fine. All right, let's get to, let's get to some people here. Nuts for the Bucks has had his or her hand raised for a while. Nuts, oh, it's a his. Nuts, jump on in here. What do you think? I think that the uh, skill guys for Indiana can give us some problems, uh, especially with the secondary being kind of leaky early in the season. Um, what is your guys' take on that particular matchup? And, uh, Stephen, uh, I know in a previous pod you had mentioned that you uh, are a uh, St. Francis de Sales alum. I just wanted mm-hmm. to congratulate your team. They'll be playing for a state title on Friday. Thank you. I'm very, I'm very, I'm very proud of my team. We took down C.J. Hicks to do it. Uh, yeah, I'm a- Probably the Stallions. But, yeah, I think I think Fry Fogel, that matchup with Sean Wade, I think that's going to be interesting because it's, I don't know if he's as good as Jahan Dotson is. I don't, know, I don't know who's better with that situation, but the talent level is kind of the same as far as what the matchup means for Sean Wade, and it's a chance maybe for him to redeem himself. Or not even – I wouldn't even say redeem himself because great players make great plays sometimes, but it's a chance for him to get another matchup against a quality wide receiver in the Big Ten. Yeah, so to Ty, me, Fr- Ty Fry Fogel, 11 catches, 200 yards against Michigan State on Saturday. I was to say, to me, the question isn't necessarily so much Wade against Freifogel, because I think we've all along known that some other team Ohio State could face could have another really good receiver, whether it was if, if Minnesota had had the season people were expecting and maybe it was going to be Rashad Bateman or, or something like that could emerge. I think what's more intriguing is they have Ty Freifogel and Wap Fillior. So even if Sean Wade has a really good game, that's still requiring the other outside corner for Ohio State to step up and defend what I think is also a, a pretty good receiver. That's the intriguing thing to me about IU is they have two of those guys who can, who can potentially give you some problems as well as a, you know, a tight end and Peyton Hendershot. That's, that's decent. Some other skill guys. It, it's more than just the one guy that maybe Sean Wade could neutralize. All right. I got to come in here as the person who said Penn state would run the table the rest of the year after, being, <laughs> after losing to Ohio state. And we will get into Penn state's free fall at some point. Both of you picked them this week, too. And they almost came back and got it done. I mean, the, the, the red zone the offense three of Penn State. The red Whoa. zone offense Whoa. of Penn State makes my eyes bleed. It was the awful. dead zone offense. It was awful. <laughs> it was so bad. So, I think Indiana's fake good. I think the rest of the Big Ten is pretty bad this year. I think in comparison to the rest of the league, and I I wrote this down. So I watched, I was flipping back and forth between those two games at the same time today, Indiana, Michigan State, and Penn State, Nebraska. This is what the rest of, so Michael Penix on Saturday, the Indiana quarterback was 25 of 38 for 320 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. He completed 66% of his passes. These, this is what the other three quarterback positions for Michigan State, Penn State, and Nebraska were combined. This is what they did. Well, individually and then combined. Michigan State, 13 of 27 for 131, no touchdowns, three picks. Penn State, 19 of 39, 256, no touchdowns, one pick. Nebraska, 13 of 21, 152, one interception, one pick. Overall, 
Those other three schools were 45 of 87, which is 52% completions, 539 yards, which is an average of 180 passing yards per game. One touchdown, five picks. Nathan is working on a story about how the quarterback play in the Big Ten is better. It was. <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> it's awful. That story died real quick. That Penn State is running wildcat. They bring in Will Levis. Sean Clifford can never take another snap as Penn State's quarterback. He counted. He gave Nebraska two touchdowns today. He threw a pick straight into the guy's arms. Actually, I think it, he got cut from behind and it kicked a field goal. That was only three. And then he just got sacked and just laid the ball on the ground, and the guy picked it up and ran back for a touchdown. Incompetent quarterback play. And so they bring in Will Levis, who's a Wildcat quarterback, except he's an actual quarterback. It was just Luke McCaffrey. The whole second half of Penn State, Nebraska was Luke McCaffrey and Will Levis ramming into the line. Will Levis can't even see a hole. It was like a JT Barrett nightmare scenario. If everybody was like, my dream is to be JT Barrett. And then it was like, you have no idea how to, I know JT Barrett and you are no JT Barrett. This, these were incompetent running quarterbacks who also can't throw. And so then you watch Michael Penix and you think, oh my gosh, what is this beautiful thing? Michael Penix threw two of the worst picks I ever saw in my life today. He cannot throw against man coverage. I would set, so I, I don't want to get into how I think Ohio State should play him because otherwise, I mean, that's the second half of the podcast. That's not it. That's not <laughs> Indiana, like, I am so glad that we got to watch this today because I think you could look at the stats and you could look at the shutout and you could look at Penix's stats. And if you didn't watch it, you'd be like, oh, man. He threw a 65-yard touchdown pass to Ty Freifogel that was a horrible ball on the sideline that the yeah. Michigan State guys – if we think Tyreek Johnson gets spun in a circle, the Michigan State corner had no idea how to cover that. He should have picked it. Instead, it turns into a 65-yard touchdown. It's like Michael Penix, Ty Freifogel, watch out for those guys. That's not it. I, I think we are cruising, and again, maybe I, shouldn't, I, maybe I should stop making predictions. If, if, if Ohio State can't stop Ty Freifogel, Wap Fillior, and Michael Penix, they may as well just forfeit now to Trevor Lawrence and Mac Jones. Right? I mean, like, this is this – is, and I keep calling Indiana JV Ohio State. I think it more right now. Ty Freifogel and Wap Fillior are JV Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, which is not an insult. It is a compliment in a lot of ways. But if you can't stop them, hang it up. It is a lot. There is a decent degree. All credit to Indiana. All credit to Indiana. All credit to Indiana. There is a decent amount of smoke and mirrors going on there. And if Ohio State can't expose that next week, then Ohio State isn't who we thought they are. Yeah, and, and you know, you keep using that term, JV Ohio State, and saying that it's not an insult. Maybe you're not meaning it to be an insult, but if you put the JV on the field with a varsity and ask that JV to drive the length of the field against the varsity and score points, they're not going to do it. And I think that's exactly how I see that game unfolding next Saturday. I don't have any confidence that this Indiana offense can do that repeatedly at Ohio state. The reason I say JV and I don't say that as an insult is because you have some guys, you have a plan, you do some things, you have some structure, you have some togetherness, you have the components. Like 
like that Indiana would fit in sort of to the Ohio State way of doing things. Their players just aren't quite as good as opposed to like, I don't know. I mean, like Penn State is like the, the school down the road that tries to have a football team and like, you know, they got they can't even get a practice together. You know what I mean? That like they're just dysfunctional right now. Indiana's doing a lot of good things and all credit to them. But, but the talent level, if Ohio State can't handle this, I, I would be just absolutely shocked. Let's go to David. I'm unmuting you, David. What do you have to add here? Uh, my questions are, is Tom Allen a better coach than Mark D'Antonio? And will the Bucks be able to keep Penix in the pocket? So I'll take the D'Antonio thing first because I covered a lot of D'Antonio. It feels very similar to me, but he's got, he's got clearly a little more outward emotion on this stuff sometimes, right? But they were talking about it on the broadcast. He wants to be Michigan State. He wants to build that toughness with the defense and that kind of thing. Um, and I do think there's something about overachie overachieving, that you build an attitude within your program, and that Indiana does have a lot of good pieces, but their pieces, you know, they, they, Penn State still has more overall talent than them. And Michigan State's, uh, Michigan, Michigan State doesn't. Michigan still has more overall talent than them, but they have a way of doing things. So I actually think a D'Antonio comparison, they're both defensive-minded guys. I think they both have like installed a belief system in their guys. Now, the thing that I always liked about D'Antonio, and this will be a test a little bit for Indiana next week, D'Antonio would bring a little something for you. D'Antonio won some big games with some trick plays and, and fake stuff and not being afraid to go for it. I do think next week, if Tom Allen falls into the trap of thinking, hey, we can play with these guys, I think they're in trouble. They've got to bring a little something new. They've got to little, bring a little something extra. So I actually think – Next week will be a great test for Tom Allen in trying to say we have maybe have enough to hang, but we're not going to win unless we do something. And D'Antonio had that neck sometimes. The idea of sort of penning in Michael Penix and containing him. Steven, what, what is the right idea for this Ohio State defense in not letting Penix get out and do some stuff? And do you think Ohio State has the ability to be able to do that? I do, because outside of a couple of plays early on in that Nebraska game, the defensive line has actually been pretty solid, especially at getting pressure. And Indiana's offensive line didn't show me that they're going to be able to keep Ohio State's defensive line from doing what it wants next week. And, yeah, so I, I don't I, – Jonathan Cooper's been pretty solid. As we talked about with Zach Harrison, he's been solid when he's been on the field. Tyler Friday's had some moments, and Javante Jean-Baptiste has had some moments. I want to see more from Tyreek Smith. But, yeah, I don't think they're going to have a problem containing Michael Penix because I don't think this offensive line can keep Ohio State's defensive line from getting pressure. And we saw what happened today when you pressure Michael Penix just a little bit, he becomes a very inaccurate quarterback and ends up throwing some interceptions. And Ohio State's had – or, I'm sorry, Indiana's had some injuries up front too on the offensive yeah. line that plays in, yeah. in Ohio State's favor next week if those guys can't get back. And, and I don't know what the status of some of that stuff is. Right. They just mentioned that the left tackle and the left guard were out for Indiana this week. But I, I do – I just think there are some things in place. And I, I want to talk mostly about sort of the Ohio State defense against this Indiana offense in this matchup. Although, frankly, actually, I, I was just double-checking the stats. Coming into this game, Indiana was only 12th in the Big Ten in total offense. Like, they actually have not – been running up and down the field and well racking up yards because they have so many 
short fields because they force yeah. turnovers in yeah. right i mean that's the yeah so that's about what i was that's what i was going to interject there that they keep um both from the incompetence of the teams are playing and i suppose from their own de- defense's performance but then also all those turnovers they keep working with short fields just over and over and over again they happened today they had how many drives did they have today they started like inside the um, the spartans 30 or inside the spartans 40 it was it was crazy and and again i i don't they had a fumble that it looked like, I mean, like the Michigan State running back just sort of like ran into the line and the ball popped out. It wasn't any great strip. Rocky Lombardi threw some of the worst. Michael Penix threw some awful picks. And then Rocky Lombardi would be like, here you go. Here's a pick right back to you. It was not any brilliant, I thought, defensive scheme. Like, yeah, the corner was cover two and the corner came off and came into the other guy made the pick. But you know, the announcer's saying that's like a normal coverage. You can't make that throw to the outside there. I thought there was just a lot of incompetence. Now, here's the thing. I've been watching Big Ten football for 16 years. A lot of people listening to this and in the Zoom with us have been watching Big Ten football for longer than that. Incompetence in Big Ten football is nothing new. This, I, I said, I was watching this today. I was getting angry at my children. I thought, I don't want to have to watch this anymore today. I don't want to have to watch Michigan State, Indiana for work. This stinks. I don't like my job anymore. And then I flipped over to Nebraska, Penn State. It was like, oh, what's this play call? Oh, is it a quarterback draw? Oh, is it QB power on second and seven for a gain of three? I don't want to watch this game either. I hate football. I hate it. That's what this league did to me today. So this is not new. So there is a margin of credit that you get for taking advantage of incompetence. So all credit to Indiana for that because they are not incompetent. They are not incompetent. They make some mistakes, but they are not incompetent. And they are capable. They kept showing the red zone stats. They convert in the red zone. Every time they get these turnovers, they score. They're not wasting opportunities. So you have to give Indiana credit for what they do well. But it is not blow you away holy moly how do you stop that kind of stuff the way that i'm looking at it clint always eager to chime in clint what do you have for us uh first of all i I feel like uh you know penn state being zero and four and watching indiana win that game when it was a good game but they really had no business winning that game uh and to add to that do you for do you guys foresee this as a situation where 20 minutes 30 minutes next week, we look like we might have a game. And then that JV varsity talent gap shows itself in the, towards the end of the first half and throughout the second half. If this game had a first 25 minutes that looked like Nebraska and a final score that looked like Nebraska, I wouldn't be surprised, I suppose. That Indiana comes out with with something to start this game, um, throws a couple things at Ohio State, um, you know, but I also think it, it really helps Ohio State to have this extra three, four days to prepare for Indiana. I think that's the, you know, it's the only good thing to come of the cancellation with Maryland. There's only bad things other than that. The one good thing is they had extra time to work on, look at film, extra time to focus on certain things about Indiana. Um, I don't think Indiana um, got magically better up at Michigan State. Like I said, I think they, they played, I even saw one of their beat writers say he thought it was maybe their sloppiest game of the year so far. Um, so. I think I think Ohio State's in good position to to control this game. I kind of see the opposite. I I think Ohio State might come in and put their pedal to the metal early, especially with the way this offense is scoring points. I think we a twenty one point first quarter is on the table. 
And they're, they're not going to turn the ball over the way Michigan State and some of these other teams, Indiana, has turned the ball over. That's just not going to happen. Justin Fields is way too efficient, and these wide receivers are way too open by the time he throws them the ball. I, I see a world where 21 to 3 or 21 to 7 at the end of the first quarter is on the table. Well, we just didn't update everybody on the Big Ten incompetence. There's been another missed field goal, an interception, and now it looks oh. like a fumble in the Rutgers-Illinois game. So here's the thing that I think is to, to everybody's point here. I think it's one of those two things, and both of them are fairly easy Ohio State wins. One is that, yes, Indiana hangs for a half, and then in the second half, as we have seen Ohio State do over the years, they wear down a team, right? With its Ohio State has greater talent, you know. Ohio State always has, you know. Their coach Mick has them conditioned well, all that stuff. That it's close for a half, and then Ohio State wears them down, and then Ohio State wins by seventeen or twenty or twenty-one, pulling away in the second half. Or it's what Nate, what Steven said, and it's just not a game from the go, from the get-go. Now, but to the other point again, they said, okay, look what Nebraska did. Nebraska came out and scored on its first drive because they put two quarterbacks in the game and handed off to Luke McCaffrey. Indiana, they can Indiana cannot fall into the trap of Fry Fogel, Phil Yor, Stevie Scott at running back, Michael Penix. They're good enough. Let's line up and go. If they fall into that trap, it will not be a game at any point and they will get blown off the field. They've got to bring a little something. So I am very, very curious to see how that goes. But I just think it's possible. I want to zero in on Penix a little bit. He hit some throws, and I texted this out during the game. You can see when Michigan State dropped into some zones, they had some linebackers falling into coverage. Guys are settling into areas, and Penix will step up and rip it. It's what I mean. A lot of a lot of quarterbacks do that. That's how you get confidence. That's what Baker Mayfield does for the Browns. When you drop a zone on him, and you don't get pressure, he'll step up and rip it because it's like, hey, I don't have to worry about. Am I trying to? A guy just settles into a spot and you hit him in the chest for a 15-yard gain. I don't think at Ohio State we know his mixed up defenses, mixed up coverages. I think this is press man from the get-go. He Penix threw an awful pick against cover zero where you have no safeties at all. You bring a little pressure. You line up. If they're empty, empty backfield, you line up five guys in man coverage on the five guys wide and say, okay, get rid of it. He just threw it up. He was trying to get to a hot, a hot receiver down the field, just threw a little pop pass up in the air, awful picked. And then he threw a pick in the end zone. It's man coverage. It's a route, it's a, it's a crossing route against man coverage, and the Michigan State defensive back just runs with the receiver. I think he's a little late on the throw, and the Michigan State defensive back undercuts it. And again, it's an easy pick. And against Ohio State, that's a killer pick in the end zone. But if you're going to let him, they were talking about Michael Penix hitting soft outs, 10, 12-yard gains. Greg McElroy on the announcing crew is saying that he's done that four times. Justin Fields lives on those outs. If you're going to play off coverage and say, hey, make a throw to the wide side of the field from the hash, and Michael Penix has the arm to do that, just like Justin Fields does, it's for free 10 yards. I, don't, I, don't want Ohio, I wouldn't like to see Ohio State giving up any of those. Don't give him any free yards. Lock him up. Man coverage. And if Sean Wade and Seven Banks can't stick with Wap Fillier and Ty Freifogel, well, then it's over. Then this whole season isn't what we thought it was. This is a money game. This is Sean Wade, Seven Banks, money time. 
lock these guys up, get in their jerseys, and stay with them for 60 minutes. And if Michael Penix can thread something on you, then go ahead and thread it. But I would come up, I would get after him, I would play man coverage one-on-one all over the field. And okay, maybe seven – we don't know how good Seven Banks is. We don't know how close he, – is he on the next – is he the next Marshawn Lattimore? Is he the next Denzel Ward? Let's – okay, you better be close. It's time for that. And I think this is a great test for that because if you can't do it with these guys, you can't do it with Bama's receivers. So I just thought that that soft zone, some of those easy looks, that's when Penix thrives. Nathan, I, I wouldn't play a snap of it. And I know that's not true. You want to mix up coverages and make sure quarterback's eyes, he's not sure what he's seeing. But I think Ohio State man coverage has the ability to shut this passing game down. Yeah, I mean, you might play it as they did at Penn State when you're up two touchdowns plus in the second half and you're you're playing a different style of defense there I could see that but no early in this game I wouldn't do that I mean I think the Penn State game could end up being I know they're not mirror images in terms of the offense that they run with Indiana but that could be a a a blueprint for how Ohio State comes out and attacks this game defensively from the beginning I mean they locked down Clifford as a runner in that game and he's not maybe as dynamic as Michael Penix but he was completely shut down as a runner that was their main objective in that game and then by kind of a corollary that they were not getting anything going in the in the passing game either and I think that's the way I would maybe attack this game if I was Ohio State once you get up in the second half and you want to play softer and you're giving up the those underneath passes that's one thing but you're in control of the game at that point I thought we saw that play out there and I and it could be a similar formula here which I think kind of opens the door for Josh Proctor single high safety game to what we've been talking about how maybe they try him back there a little bit more in the weeks to come just because Marcus Hooker hasn't looked as good. If you're going to play press man that much, you might want to have a single high safety who might be able to make some plays back there just in case every so often you do get beat at the line of scrimmage. And we all, Josh Proctor has shown that he has that ability. So maybe this is the game for that. But they've talked about how much better he is in man coverage than he is as that kind of free safety that maybe their um, ideal version of the free safety. The one thing I'm curious about with Proctor, and I was maybe going to try to get my eyes on some film in the next couple of days and look into this, is they've used him in so many different places that I'm yeah. – is he more valuable to you as a utility guy than he is as a starter? I think that's an interesting question, no. but I think the answer Why is would that? No. How could that be the tr- – how could that be the case? I think – I know I'm saying – I just said, I think the answer is probably no. But I think that it's, you know, by using him the way he, they did against Penn State, he gets to, you know, neutralize um, Fryermuth in a way that he couldn't if he was the free safety, those sorts of things. You get to move him around that works a little with, bit. Yeah, and that works when you're playing the Fryermuth of the world and you're playing Michigan who has good tight ends as well. Indiana's tight ends aren't the best tight ends in the what? Big Ten. And so, Peyton Hendershot's really good. People love Peyton Hendershot, don't yeah, they? Yeah, but I think in this game – He's not Pat Fryermuth, is what I'm trying to say here. I, I think it, in this game, the the, more, the value might be at the single high safety spot more than it is the bullet or whatever, or whatever that third down package is for him. So no, I mean yeah. By the way, That's Doug, mark it down. I'm not saying Illinois he's not good. Seven. He's just not, you know. So I do think, uh, but one of these two again. I mean, they don't. Ohio State doesn't play a lot of zero coverage where you just you don't have anybody deep. You don't have any deep safety. You just have everybody locked in man to man. If you want to give that look in times and come get after the passer, then you bring that safety down and have him play man coverage. And maybe Proctor's a little more, uh, a little more able to do that. Penix actually doesn't run. He didn't run at all today. He has like ten yards on the season. So the one thing sometimes about man, if you're playing man all over the field and you turn and run with guys, then quarterbacks will step up and run quarterbacks will step up and run but uh, fine I don't fine I again I'd man up all over the field if Penix wants to try to run and again he has not run this year and he actually has not run that much in his careers he has 
it's, you know, it's actually not that much of a thing with him. If he wants to, great. Beat him that way. But, but take away, make every throw be to a guy on the move with, with coverage draped on him, and don't just let him hit a, a shot between, hey, oh, there was a little window between tough Borland in zone and Marcus Hooker in zone, and there was an 18-yard gain there. Like, that's, that is not it. That is not it. So um, I do think they do have some weapons, though. And, again, part of this is what we are doing at the moment is, is we're analyzing Indiana against Ohio State now because that's what's up next, and we cover Ohio State. And, and, and frankly, I don't, I don't care that much how Indiana looks against how they're, whether they're going to beat Maryland or whether they're going to go. Indiana might go 7-1, and one, honestly. They really might, because I think when you start looking, okay, well, now you take Phil Yor and Hendershot and Fry Fogle and Scott. Those are your four best skill guys. You take those four and compare them to the four best skill guys at every team in the league that's not Ohio State. It honestly might be the next best group of skill guys. But do you think, like, is that enough? Like, sometimes Ohio State plays teams that they have no skill guys. Am I now underestimating those skill guys? Listen, they have a quarterback who can throw, and they have four legitimate dudes who are offensive weapons. Have I now, are we now back around to somehow underestimating this dark horse? Or when you really think about it against Ohio State, it's just not, not a threat to the Ohio State level of talent. You have it's to remember. Because yeah, go ahead. They, they, there's, there's talent, but it's not explosive enough to keep up with what Ohio State can do explosive-wise. I mean, if you look at it, 24 to nothing today, 24 points is not going to get it done against Ohio State. 36 to 35 in overtime against Penn State, 37 points against Rutgers, and 38 against Michigan. I mean, yes, that's a pretty quality offense, given that we're talking about Indiana, but we're talking about an Ohio State offense who can go 55-plus whenever they feel like it. And again, repeatedly, that team was in a situation where it's been able to go on short fields. And I just don't see that happening with the same regularity against Ohio State. Now, if that happens, then all bets are off, I guess. But if you're making Indiana have to drive the length of the field and succeed enough to keep up with what Ohio State's going to be able to do offensively, and I'm, I'm trying to give respect to Indiana defensively. I think they have been pretty good defensively. I, I tweeted. Let, let's wait on out. that. I, I want to I talk about but, Indiana's defense in a second. But yeah. But yeah, but my point, yeah, my point being, and it, along with Steven, that. I, we can talk all along about all day long about Michael Penix and how many points these guys can score. The question is, can they score so prolifically to keep up with Ohio State? I, I want to finish up on – so I, I want to break it up. I, I want to finish up with the Indiana offense versus the Ohio State defense. Then we'll take a break, and then we'll talk about uh, the Indiana defense trying to slow down Justin Fields and these guys. And then we will talk about Penn State and a little bit of the rest of the Big Ten. I also thought Michigan State had a little success early in this game, selling out to stop the run. They had linebackers filling holes. They had some linebackers coming on blocked in situations. They had that uh, Panashuk or whatever his name is, their decent defensive end who had like a nice spin move and smoked the right tackle for a snap at one point. I think this is a money game. This is how I think it goes. Money game for Sean Wade and Seven Banks. Line them up in man, trust them one-on-one, go ahead and beat us. And then you also stack the box and you're, you make Penix make throws against man defense, but you're also playing the run. And Pete Warner and Tough Borland are just filling, 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 filling. Fill those holes, come in unblocked, put pressure on that run game. I want Penix throwing if I'm Ohio State, but I want him throwing on my terms as a defense which means I want him throwing with pressure against man coverage. 
and then let's go. And if it doesn't work for a half, then we'll switch. But let's go with that. So I went, guys, in the box. I'm going to trust. This is going to be a great thing for this defense because you're going to – I would put so much trust in these guys that we're all talking about can they be trusted. Go prove it. I think it's a great prove-it game. But I think it's a great chance for Boland and Warner in the box, right? Pete Warner's been talking about, I like being in the box, right, against the run. Get in there, fill some gaps. You shut down Stevie Scott. You try to make them one-dimensional. And maybe you get one of these games where Penix ends up throwing it 45 times. And that's exactly what you want. But none of the throws are easy. I just think there's a real formula there. And it makes me that Ohio State has the talent that most other defenses in this league don't have to come up and try to do that. And it makes me very curious how they are going to decide to attack this Indiana offense that, again, I actually think it's not as good as people think because they've been set up on so many short fields. Are they really going to line up and kill you up and down the field all day? We will take a quick break, come back with the other side of the ball of this matchup, and then try to figure out a little bit, just because we got to talk about it, what is going on with Penn State? Thanks to everyone for listening to this odd post-game Buckeye Talk. Back on Buckeye Talk with our live Zoom call. Shout out to Max, who says I went to Chili's today, Doug. Thanks, man. I did not get Chili's because I was not watching an Ohio State game. I was only watching Indiana, Michigan State, so I heated up some old pizza because, frankly, that was all this Big Ten schedule deserved today. What? Would the Big Ten have ruined your appetite for Chili's forever, the way they played today? That's possible. Joseph says, Indiana, Michigan State, not good enough to rate Chili's. Uh, maybe, right? Because, I mean, sometimes you have those associations, right? I mean, everybody has a story of like, oh, I ate this kind of food, and then I got sick, and then I could never eat that kind of food again. If I said to myself, oh, I used to love Chili's, and then one time I was eating Chili's, and I was watching Michigan State's offense, oh. And I can't eat I can't even smell it anymore. If I walk into a Chili's, I just start thinking about Rocky Lombardi. Oh. I will say, it's not fair. I saw uh, someone tweet during the Indiana game because um, they benched Rocky Lombardi and put in a redshirt freshman. And they were having some trouble even like getting plays in and stuff. And someone tweeted like Michigan State appears to be not very well coached. Listen, that's not fair. Mel Tucker came in in a really tough spot. He came in late. There's a pandemic. He had to bench the veteran quarterback and put in a guy who's like never played. They just don't have anybody, which again, brings me back to my original, one of my original points, which is how did Michigan state beat Michigan? I can't even, I said, who? And I'll take comments on this. Big 10 games were good enough to rate gas station hot dogs from Samuel. <laughs> it's about right. <laughs> I, who are the worst teams in the Big 10? Then we'll get to the Indiana, the Indiana defense against Justin Fields in a minute. Who's the worst team in the Big 10? Because Rutgers beat Michigan State, who beat Michigan, and Illinois just beat Rutgers. So uh, is it possible? Can someone bring up the preseason AP top 25 real quick? the preseason poll that included the Big Ten teams when they said, go ahead and root and vote for the Big Ten teams. Because my, my question is this, and oh, I'm, this not, bad. I'm not being facetious. I'm really not. Because, of course, we know like Illinois and Rutgers aren't very good, but Illinois just beat Rutgers. Rutgers beat Michigan State. Michigan State beat Michigan. Is it possible – that the three worst teams in the Big Ten are Penn State, Michigan, and Minnesota. 
And where were those three teams ranked in the preseason AP poll? Well, Penn State was seven. Wisconsin was 12. Minnesota was 19. I did not have a hand in the Gophers being ranked. But no, I did but that, help. I you did said help Wisconsin. State. We're not talking about Penn State. Oh, sorry. And, and, and Michigan was 16. I'm sorry. Michigan was 16. So I helped so, with those first two and not Minnesota. So then Iowa was 24th. I don't I just talk about the three the three bad teams I want to know. Penn State was 7, Minnesota was where? 19, Michigan was 16. So 7, 16 and 19 in the preseason AP poll. Someone's saying nuts for the buck says the worst team is still Illinois. And Illinois lost to Minnesota last week, but Illinois just beat Rutgers who beat Michigan State who beat Michigan. Okay, are they the four worst teams? Are the four worst teams Minnesota, Illinois, Penn State, Michigan? No, I mean, Michigan State is, is truly really bad. This is, I mean, two weeks in a row where they've gotten thumped really bad. Um, they, they have no offense. I don't know how they beat Michigan. That's still maybe the biggest. I mean, I know Michigan hasn't played well, but my God. In their other three games, Michigan State's looked truly, truly awful. I think Michigan State might be the worst team in the Big Ten. Michigan State's the worst team because it's a combination of talent and just they can't beat anybody. Penn State, a lot of that, their play calling is awful. That, that was awful down the stretch. That was awful play calling. And then in Michigan, I don't, that's a dumpster fire. I, I don't even know what to, where to start with them. So we're recording this before the afternoon games and evening games. So Northwestern Purdue has not kicked off yet, and Wisconsin-Michigan tonight has not kicked off yet. Jason in the chat room says, newsflash, bad teams beating other bad teams. Which, again, we always like to talk about our T-shirt slogans for the Buckeye Talk T-shirt. Just a, just a possibility for the Big Ten. Bad teams beating other bad teams. Big Ten football. I don't want to watch it anymore. I don't. It was like it, the quarterback play. Like We have to talk about the Penn State play calling. It is like Justin Fields lives on another planet from this quarterback play. It, Which is why I say I think if you drop Justin Fields onto almost any other team in the Big Ten, like you might have the best team in the Big Ten because he's so much better than everybody else. Samuel says Stetson Barnett would be above average in the Big Ten. Again, that's one he of those. Would. I make fun of Stetson Barnett. Mel Tucker would crawl to Georgia for Stetson Barnett. By the way, Mel Tucker used to coach at Georgia. Stetson Barnett might be, might be Michigan State starting quarterback next year. I've never been to East Lansing, but I would welcome the opportunity to revive the Spartans' offense. Doug says Penn State has too much talent to be 0-4. Coaching is out of control. That play calling, Joe Moorhead, who was – so I saw someone else – I saw someone tweet today, Penn, State's, Penn State and the James Franklin era in one photo, and it was a photo of Saquon Barkley running. And it was like, hey, when they have Saquon Barkley, they're pretty good. When they don't have Saquon Barkley, they're not that good. So that's a good point. Joe Moorhead was the offensive coordinator. He left. They've had a little trouble filling in since he went to Mississippi State, then left Mississippi State. He's the offensive coordinator at Oregon right now. I all Everybody who's listening to this knows I don't like paying assistant coaches. I think they're middle managers. I think they're overpaid. I think Penn State should offer Joe Moorhead $4 million to come back. Steven, I, I, I took a shot of it with my phone. Somebody tweeted this out. These were the play calls. Uh, this afternoon when Penn State in the second half was had three possessions inside the Nebraska 15 in the second half. These were their plays. Run for no gain, run for no gain, run for loss of three, field goal, new drive, 
Incomplete, 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 incomplete. New drive. Incomplete, incomplete, sack, incomplete. Steven, what was that? I kind of want to go watch Penn State's other games now and see how bad the play calling was in those games as well because you can't be this incompetent as a play caller. I don't think they were this bad against Ohio State when it came to calling plays. They weren't great, but they weren't incompetent the way they were this afternoon. And honestly, against Indiana as well, that's highlighted with not just going down at the one-yard line instead of running in for a touchdown. But I understand you're missing Journey Brown and you're missing Micah Parsons, but that has nothing – you shouldn't be 0-4. The play calling shouldn't be this bad, no matter who the quarterback is, whether it's Sean Clifford or Will Levis. They, out, they, outgained Indi- or they outgained Indiana by a ton in week one when they lost. Penn State yeah. outgained Nebraska today 501 to 298. So it's not that they can't move the ball. They just can't score. Oh, they can get to the red zone. Yeah, they can get to the red zone. It's just once they're there, they're not really sure what to do with themselves. And, and I think that does kind of come back to quarterback play. It does come back to just maybe the, your, your confidence as a play caller, your confidence as a team and the guy that's back there. Um, I, I think that's where that, that team is lacking right now. I don't think there maybe that they were bought into to Sean Clifford, but I don't know what other choice they had. And now what are – now, again, now, you know, where are they now? Now I feel like they're a little bit on an island and they don't really know where to turn and they've got still four games in front of them. But listen, that, that, so they, they tried to run on the first series inside the 15, the second half, it didn't work. They didn't run. Inside the 15, the rest of the, they didn't run at all. They're throwing fades into the end zone, bad fades into the end zone from like the 12-yard line. They didn't try to run. They had the ball inside like, that, like the 12-yard line, two drives in the final five minutes. They didn't try to run. Will Levis is like, Tim Tebow, light, light, light. Like, what's it, like a Tim Tebow zero? That's, that sounds meaner. When you say Tim Tebow light, it's just like, I don't want the heaviness of a full Tim Tebow. I'll just take a light Tim Tebow. Look but at JD Tim Tebow. If a you diet say, Tim Tebow. But like Coke zero, like if you say he's a Tim Tebow zero, that sounds mean. So I don't want to say it right, mean. Just call him a diet Tebow. Then, diet you know, Tebow. It's not mean. But I also think he's not yeah. even diet Tebow. Because listen, as someone who drinks a lot of Diet Coke, diet's good. Diet is good. I like diet. So I, I want to – we're trying to – Tom Tebow. Clint says call him Tom Tebow. Evan says Tebow code red. What soda analogy should we use to describe Penn State's backup quarterback in relation to Tim Tebow? New Coke Tebow. He's the generic uh, Coke that you get from yeah. Walmart. R.C. Tebow. Um, or, lots of – he's lots of Tebow. Yeah, he's R.C. Fanta Tebow. I don't know. Shasta Tebow. So – Listen, but that's what you are. Why are you throwing fades? Try Like, run the ball a little bit or, like, run a jet sweep or run, right? I mean, run the ball. Some of their tailbacks run pretty hard. Like, I, I, I thought the play calling was so bad. And I, it does go to, yeah, you don't trust your quarterback, but then your play caller has to make your quarterback look better than he is, right? I mean, you need your play caller to lift you up. And this is two times against Indiana and Nebraska, where between the 20s, they can move the ball. And then when it gets to scoring time, and again, that's where we give Indiana credit, red zone. Red zone does tell you a lot about a team. So I don't want to take that away from Indiana, because if Indiana was getting gifted these turnovers and then looking in the red zone like Penn State looks, they wouldn't be 4-0. So I do think that's an important distinction to make. But we'll finish up with Penn State here. Nathan, like, are you – dumbfounded and what do you I want to do a little bit of this at least just a tiny bit right here because it's fresh and we just had to watch that 
Are you dumbfounded that this is where Penn State is? And what do they do? Like, what does it mean? Is it a blip? Is it a pandemic blip? Does it say something about James Franklin? Does James Franklin stay and he has to wipe out his entire offensive coaching staff? Because they have a new offensive coordinator right now. It's Kirk Shiraka, who was Minnesota's offensive coordinator last year. And somehow last year, Kirk Shiraka in Minnesota, he was good and Minnesota was good. Now he left, he stinks, and Minnesota without him stinks, and everybody fell apart. But what's where does Penn State go from here, Nathan? Well, I was and it was, it was funny. I was following reporters last night on Twitter from the Minnesota game, and they were talking about how Shiraka being absent is a detriment to Minnesota this year, who's awful. So because just because now it's another year, you know, having to kind of switch up and go to another offensive system on the fly after having so much success last year. Um, I, I obviously I'm surprised. I mean, I, I had Penn State. I can't. I was trying to look at my ballot. I can't get to it right now. But I think they were like somewhere in my top 10 to start the year. And uh, I expected even without Parsons, I thought even without Journey Brown, which you didn't find out till right before the season started, but I, I still thought that this was enough of a collection of talent to, to go out and challenge to at least be the second best team in the East. And for them to be 0-4 at this point, when, you, when you're losing to the likes of Maryland and Nebraska, something's very wrong. And I think it is something um, – it, it, you have to start looking beyond just the talent on the field at that point. Because I think we know they have the talent. I don't, I don't really dispute that they have the talent there, but there's an X factor that's missing. I, I don't know if he keeps his job. One thing here, and as pointed out by Samuel, um, they've had a couple transfers. Justin Shorter was a big-time receiver, five-star receiver. He transferred. Ricky Slade was a big-time five-star running back recruit. He transferred. We know the Journey Brown season, career-ending health issue, Micah Parsons opting out. But if you are a program like Penn State and like, all you are is bring in five stars and throw them out on the field and say, please go save us, then that's not great either, right? You have to have a plan that accentuates your talent, that doesn't burden your talent. But it's like, hey, what's your, uh, hey, what's your uh, red zone play here? It's a uh, handoff to Saquon and see if he can hurdle guys. That's not an offense. Because then when you don't have Saquon Barkley, you have nothing. But they've been like, they had, you know, then Saquon left and they had Miles Sanders and they were still good. And that's the thing. It, they've been – it's not like they fell off a cliff when Saquon Barkley left. And as someone else pointed out, Trace McSorley was a really important part of this program for a long time. Sean Clifford is killing them. And I do think we talk about loyalty versus ruthlessness and all this stuff. James Franklin, I think, has to pull the plug there. I, and I don't cover Penn State every day. I don't know what they're doing there. But they don't have the talent right now. They're not recruiting in this class as well. A lot of their talent, they lost it to transfers or whatever. They're down a little bit on talent. And then we're seeing a little bit of a – it's a little bit of a mirage with the game plan behind it. So, Stephen, what you were saying, you think this is bad. Yeah, I don't think you – you can't be 0-4 losing the teams you're losing to. You can't have the number 32 recruiting class in the country and eighth in the Big Ten. You can't go 0 for 10 on the top 10 players in your state – and have four of those be top 100 players, two of them going to Ohio State, one going to Wisconsin, and another one going to Clemson. And then the next clo next closest thing to a top 100 recruit outside of Marvin Harrison Jr. is also going to pitch. You can't be losing in the recruiting battle and losing on the field. Something has to show that this might get better down the line. And right now, that doesn't look like that's the case. It's hard. Penn State, the last four years, final rankings – 7th, 8th, 17th, 9th. They've been a top 10 team at the end of the year. Three of the last four years. So 
I don't know. Doug says football's a momentum game, and once it's gone, things can fall apart. Franklin needs to do something dramatic to change it up. I th- has Penn State mentally checked out? Joseph asked that. I mean, I, th- I think there is something. But, like, that's an indictment, too. If it's like, oh, they lost their momentum and everybody mentally checked out, then it's like, well, that's the coach's fault. It was funny. Urban Meyer and people were retreating it. Urban Meyer was talking on the Fox pregame show. And, again, Urban Meyer last week when they couldn't do the full Fox show, it's because Urban Meyer had COVID. And he's back. Everybody was back this week. And Urban Meyer was saying, when a team's bad, Urban's saying, I hear everybody say the players are bad or the coaches are bad. It's not that. It's one of these three things. And it was basically, you don't trust each other, you're not working hard enough, or you're selfish. Which I know what he's saying, that it's like, it's not that the – it's one of those things. It's not that the players or the coaches are bad. It's just that the players and the coaches are doing bad things. So, okay, I mean, I guess there's – you want to put it on what you're doing and not what you are. But it does feel like maybe both at Michigan and at Penn State, maybe there's some stuff going on there. A lack of trust, right? A lack of faith. Maybe some selfishness starts popping up as a little every man for himself kind of thing once things start going sideways. I do feel like, yeah, I mean, obviously, there is a little bit of a talent shortage there on both sides. And you've got to get the talent shortage fixed. But both for Michigan and Penn State, there's also – there's no juice at the moment. And I guess the question is, what, what is there? There's no juice. We need a change. And, or what is there? It's a bad year. Everything went wrong. And at the moment – and it's a post-game podcast about Michigan State and Indiana at 445 on a Saturday. My instinct for the moment is it might be a one-year juice blip at Penn State but it might be a continuing lack of juice at Michigan that requires a change. I think that might be where I am right now, Nathan. Yeah, I think that I didn't, I kind of left that out of my original answer, which that was part of the the question I understand. And I think I agree that the pandemic and the circumstances, the specific circumstances for Penn State from the pandemic are a factor here. When you lose Micah Parsons, when you lose Journey Brown, I think people like me and maybe a lot of us underestimated how kind of the emotional hits that probably that those hits took on this program. I think that's probably is a factor here right now. And because they have been succeeding at a level that even Michigan hasn't. And I I saw some people actually talking about that on Twitter today, like questioning, like, Hey, have we been giving Penn state too much credit? Like, are they really that much better than what Michigan has been the last couple of years? Cause they still don't beat Ohio state either, but they, I, I would argue that Penn state has, I would argue that Penn state has number one, they've been playing Penn state closer number two they've been getting into bowl games and winning and beating other good teams the way Michigan hasn't so I would put them above Michigan here these last you know four or five years but I so so I I I do kind of think of it still this this feels to me more of just like a complete anomaly one-year disaster but it's also something that I think does maybe hint at a bigger problem that does need to be fixed and so you can go back to that level you were at before because maybe it's not reachable if you don't fix that problem you know, Michigan was close with Ohio State in 2016, and we know that. But again, you know, this run of what Penn State for three straight years, in 16 they won, in 17 and 18 they lost by a point. You know, if Michigan was doing that, it'd be a different deal. So Michigan in, in 2016 is double overtime, but since then it's 31-20, 62-39, 56-27. We know the last two years have been blowouts, and so that does affect it. I do think Penn State – I think indisputably is in a better place as a program than Michigan is. I don't think you've, I think Michigan might tell Jim Harbaugh to get lost. I think at Penn state, James Franklin and Penn state might look at each other and be like, what do you think? And maybe it's a mutual thing. I don't think Penn state would tell James Franklin to get lost, but 
the one thing about like, hey, is it a one-year blip goes back to what Stephen was talking about with the recruiting, that that is a problem. The long-term recruiting, recruiting is what turns everything around. And if you're having something on the field, a lack of juice or whatever, that then contributes to, well, now nobody wants to be part of this. Now you turn a one-year problem into a multi-year problem. So I think that is a part of the equation here with Penn State. As Jason says, 2020 is a mulligan. So to say, hey, James Franklin, you've been a top 10 team three of the last four years, and then a worldwide pandemic hit and your team stunk. What's your problem? And the answer is like, well, uh, my problem was the pandemic. Maybe if there's not a pandemic anymore, we'll get back to being good. I, I do like there's something to that. Harbaugh would be more like it's trending a certain way. Penn State just fell off a cliff. Okay. Indiana defense versus Ohio State offense. I think we'll have a little less to say about that than we did the reverse matchup. But we'll finish up with that in our live Zoom postgame chat for people who decided to waste their Saturdays watching Indiana-Michigan State right after this on Buckeye Talk. I feel bad using the word waste. I, I, maybe waste. Was waste too harsh? You're, you're an invested Ohio State fan who wanted to analyze the next opponent and then discuss it with your favorite fellas here on Buckeye Talk. But my goodness, I'm sorry. It almost makes me regret having this idea. Because otherwise, people could have been like, oh my gosh, I watched the first half and then you would have gone for a walk with your dog. But you're like, oh, I'm going to get in the Zoom. I guess I have to stick around. Nathan. You were talking about this during the game. And yes, there are more than 20 people here. So shout out to everybody who's here. I mean, listen, it's college football. It's fun. I was complaining on Twitter. I was like, don't make me watch Big Ten football anymore. And somebody was like, hey, be careful what you wish for. The pandemic might wipe it all out. And I said, I, what I'm not going to do is let this pandemic stop me from complaining about incompetent Big Ten football. Because if we do that, then the pandemic has won. So I, every time I wrote this down, the, today, the Michigan State, Nebraska, and Penn State quarterbacks had 45 completions combined and 47 rush attempts combined. So the Michigan State, Nebraska, and Penn State quarterbacks ran it more often than they successfully threw it. Big Ten football. Nathan, Indiana defense, Ohio State offense. You were, you were texting about some of these eh, Indiana defensive backs a little bit. You know, again, Tom Allen is a defensive guy. He wants defense to be the identity of that team. We don't think anybody can really stop Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and Justin Fields. But what kind of chance does Indiana have to hang in there? Well, I mean, Indiana does, I think, legitimately have some pretty good defensive backs. Tywan Mullen is a really good defensive back. Um, Jamar Johnson, Jalen Williams, Devin Matthews. I mean, they've got some guys back there who I think could – could play at Ohio State or, or at that kind of level. What I'm less worried, or less sure about, is what's happening in the front seven. They've got the one really good linebacker whose name's escaping me. McFadden, Mc, Michael McFadden. Yeah, McFadden is is really good. Tom Allen's son uh, looks like he got hurt today, and it looks like it's serious. So it looks like that's another guy that they would be missing. And just that that front that front four. I don't know if they're going to be able to put the pressure on Justin Fields that would really make those those secondary guys. Uh, more of an asset. I do think also, though, that those if, if those secondary guys can maybe lock up Olave and, and Wilson more, I, I still don't know that that neutralizes Ohio State that much because then I just think that makes Justin Fields a weapon again with his feet the way he hasn't been the last couple of weeks because he hasn't necessarily had to be. 
Yeah. It's, a, it's a great point. I was exactly going to say that. That This feels like one of those games where Indiana does some good things defensively, and then Justin Fields just runs for 31 yards, and they're like, oh, well, that's not fair. Go ahead, Steven. I was going to say exactly that. I do think th- this was a hard game to tell this It's because it's Michigan State, but I don't. Uh, it seems like a p- big part of Indiana's defense is its ability to cause turnovers. And Ohio State doesn't turn the ball over. Justin Fields is very – efficient with it and he doesn't seem to be fumbling when he does get sacked like he did on sometimes last year where he would take off or maybe he would get hit they lose the ball they've been very efficient with the ball and so you take that option away from a defense where they rely on that so much maybe Indiana's defensive backs are out of position or maybe a linebacker is in the wrong spot now all of a sudden Garrett Wilson's taking the ball 60 yards that should have been a seven yard catch or Chris Olave gets open deep or Jamison Williams gets open deep or they're able to dink and dunk with the tight ends a little bit it just seems like yes there's some talent back there, but also it's not Alex Grinch all the way, but the same concept of there's so much that relies on our ability to create turnovers and Ohio State just doesn't turn the ball over. It's similar to me. Again, you're on defense also with Indiana, you're talking about the 75-yard game. Can they do it for 75 yards? Because Ohio State doesn't turn the ball over really. You know, I mean – could happen, I guess, any given Saturday. But they have two fumbles lost this year. One was when Chris Olave got drilled in the head, and one was Steel Chambers, who may or may not take a carry against Indiana. And Justin Fields doesn't throw interceptions, uh, going back to even the last season. So, again, if you're going to make Indiana – not just do you have to – can they drive against you successfully 75, 70 yards every single time, and can they defend you 70, 75 yards every single time? I just don't have any confidence that they can do that consistently against Ohio State. Indiana coming into the game today was plus six in turnovers. They had forced eight and gave up two themselves. And again, it's one of those things. I'm not even sure about the word like forced for Indiana on turnovers. I think some of them, yeah. they have received turnovers <laughs> from the other teams. Certainly the ones today were <laughs> ugly. I mean, if, if Rocky Lombardi walks up to you on the street and taps you on the shoulder and hands you a gift, would you say that you forced Rocky Lombardi to give you a gift or would you say you received a gift from Rocky Lombardi? Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, when I, like a pass like lands in your lap, not a lot of forcing going on. So I think it's a very good point. Is it too late to switch names between Ian Book and Rocky Lombardi? Because that's just like such an awesome name that really should be on a quarterback of a really good team, or at least just on a good quarterback. And Ian Book is like such a boring name. Like the name is literally Book. Like he should be on a bad quarterback on a bad team. I think, I think Rocky, Lombardi, Rocky Lombardi sounds like a guy who comes out of nowhere and all of a sudden he's in the Heisman conversation. Not someone who's throwing interceptions against Indiana. And I do not, I mean, there's plenty, you know, there's plenty of great people in the world named Ian, but I'm just thinking like, what if like, instead of Newt Rockney, his name was Ian Rockney? It just wouldn't sound like, but if his name's Rocky, Rocky, I do, if, can we just start calling him? If his name was Rocky Book, Rocky Book, right? I mean, even that works a little bit. So listen, here's the thing. Let's end with this. Let's end with this. And it's only Saturday. And we have seven days of previewing this game. And we've dug in more on the opponent now than we have ever in the history of Buckeye Talk. My levels, extremely worried, very worried, worried, barely worried, not at all worried. Right, so from five levels of worry, from the, the top, holy moly, I think Ohio State t- can lose, to the bottom, which is like, eh, not even a game. Where would you guys be? One is on top, five is on the bottom. One, two, three, four, five. Nathan, where would you be? Like a 
two and a half. Is that okay? Can I split? You're allowed to split. On Saturday, a week ahead, you're allowed to split. By, by, by next, by the picks preview on Friday, if you try to split, I will strangle. I'll say this. It, it's not that different than the number I would have put on going into the Maryland game on the road, really. As far as, like, worry that Ohio State could lose the game. But why are you even at the half? I'll tell you, I'm a two. I'm a, I'm a barely. I'm not going to say, if like, sure, blowout. I'm not going to be a one against a team that's going to be in the top ten. But I am a solid two. And if you made me be a .5, I'd be closer to a 1.5 than a 2.5. Yeah. I, I guess I would just say that I think, you know, Indiana has seemed to have been playing with uh, that kind of team of destiny, whatever. Today was their maybe their worst game or certainly their sloppiest game. They still won easily without much um, resistance. So that, there's something there. I just don't think it's enough to beat Ohio State. Yeah, I was at a one and a half just because, yes, they've looked really good, but they've also played three of the most incompetent teams in an already incompetent conference. And I will say that I don't like trap team talk. Motivation does matter with 20-year-olds. You know, a couple years ago in 2015, when Ohio State went to Bloomington and, and barely won, and it, Ohio State's not going to be overlooking these guys. This is all of a sudden, this is like, hey, this is like the second best team in the conference. This is the team that, oh, they're beating everybody. Ohio State had to, you know, be out for a week. I don't think it's going to be like, oh, Ohio State's rusty because they didn't get to play, and that means they lost to Indiana. So we have somebody, Doug's at a two, Nuts is in the middle at a three. I mean, it's, we'll, we'll talk about this more, but I did think, I did think maybe getting ready to watch this game that I would have come away thinking like, boy, how about that? Indiana, I don't know. Like, they really are going to do this. They're really going to do that. Uh, I, I did not come away from that. I came away with it more of like, okay, I get it, but just not really something for Ohio State to be all that concerned about. As Evan said, and we're only going to have this kind of conversation, this is right in sports writer heaven wheelhouse. Rusted or ready? No. <laughs> rusted? Yeah. Rusty? Rusted? You can do this, though. In roof. Rusted. Rusty or rested? Which will it be? Right? Of like, hey, uh, Ryan, I know you're coming off a 13-day break. Do you think I mean, but like it is a thing because it might be one of the two. Man, I just will be flabbergasted if Ohio State is more rusty than they are rested. Nathan, do you agree with that? I do. And in fact, the more I think about it, I probably would rescind, I probably would pull back down to just a, an even two. The more I think about the fact that Ohio State, I think, is going to take out some of the frustrations and whatever other emotions they had about not playing this game this week um, and take them into next weekend. I just feel like that's another factor here that you're going to have a team that's, again, not only rested a little bit more not just not just rested but you got some guys who maybe were a little bit banged up that needed to heal up a little bit this week so um that, that's another factor you get another uh, it's, a, it's a week off that hurts you in so many ways or is not good for you in so many ways but that's one of the very few things that's good about it evan jones said rusty i think if it's rusty it's literally the first possession of the game if indiana gets the ball first and they're able to just make some they just pull off a big play like nebraska they just pull off a random 47-yard play out of nowhere, kind of similar to what they did last year when it was at Indiana where they had that trick play that ended up being a deep touchdown pass, something like that. That's where the rest is. Then Ohio State settles in and they end up winning the game. So I have a story idea for you, Stephen, and contributed by, uh, by Doug here in the chat. 
who said, if you were a, a, a three-star recruit without an Ohio State option, wouldn't you rather play at Indiana today than Penn State or Michigan? This makes me very interested. I think we can look at some of the Michigan State success and then what happened, both from a standpoint of a big-time program having a down year and a middle-of-the-pack program having an up year. What is the immediate recruiting effect on that? For instance, I don't know off the top of my head right now how Minnesota did or did not recruit off of last year's top 10 season, right? Did they, did they get a couple guys they wouldn't have gotten otherwise? And this is where it turns – can you turn a blip into a foundation? Is this the start of something at Indiana? Because at one point, D'Antonio started doing D'Antonio things, and then he started building on that. Now, I would also possibly argue, like, they got Malcolm McDowell as a five-star. I think that was his name. And there were just some stuff that happened. They actually started like recruiting sort of outside their comfort zone. I think of outside of what they did best. And I think maybe it actually contributed to a downfall a little bit, but I'm very curious both from both standpoints are Michigan and Penn state stinking right now. Are they, is it killing them in recruiting and is Indiana being good right now, a huge boost in recruiting. And there's probably a way to maybe get on some zoom calls Indiana's got a Zoom call this week. If we can get on a Zoom call with Tom Allen and say, what are you seeing? What are your coaches seeing? And call a couple of these kids. Listen, this is one of these things. If there is a Terry McLaurin or a Pete Werner or a Dewan Jones or all these kids that Ohio State has pulled out of Indiana in recent years, if there's a kid like that who thinks, man, I want to play big-time football. I'd love to play in my home state. But big-time football is not an option in the state of Indiana, unless it's Notre Dame, right? It's not an option. I want to be the best, so I'm going to go to Ohio State. If you can get two or three kids, two or three top 300 kids in this nation who are in Indiana, who normally would have gone to Ohio State to stay home, that's how you turn this into more. And I have no idea where Tom Allen and Indiana are on that path. And I, I wonder sometimes, is one year enough or do kids not believe it? Do you have to pile up a year two and a year three to really turn the recruiting momentum? Yeah, I, I think to the point of what they can, what it may stop is Ohio State has actually done that in 2019, 2020, and 2021, where they've gone into Indiana and got that you know three-star, four-star kid in, who's a top 300 player, but he's more of a developmental guy, and they brought him into Ohio State. It's Zin Machowski this season. But if Zin Machowski was 2022 – does he stay home and go for Indiana? So that is an interesting thing to look of. And when Ohio State's able to go get these developmental guys from the bordering state, do those guys now have the ability to stay home because they see, one, they're going to get on the field faster if they go to Indiana than if they come to Ohio State. And two, there's actually a chance that you can compete now. I think when you do that story also, it's interesting to look. It's not just that year. It's almost the next class. Because yeah. if you think about it, you know, by the time people realized last year that Minnesota was really putting something together, you're already pretty much into November. I don't know how many scholarships they still even have open at that point. It's really more about that next year. Are you starting to build on the reputation you just built? Malik, Malik McDowell, Rick reminds me in the chat. Malik McDowell was the Michigan State kid that I'm talking about. But I think that's it. And this is your headline, Stephen. Well, India – maybe this is – this is a 38-word headline, so chop this down. But it's like, will Indiana beat Ohio State in recruiting for the next Terry McLaurin or Pete Warner? That, again, those are guys who are right around – those kind of guys are among the best players in Indiana, but they're not top 100 national recruits. 
they're kind of like Midwestern recruits and that Ohio State will go in and identify and grab a guy. But I'll tell you what, man, you put Terry McLaurin on Indiana, that changes stuff. You put Pete Warner on Indiana, that's when you really start to change stuff. So I'm Rondell curious Moore to see how this goes. Is a prime example. Rondell Moore is a prime example of that. Well, but Rondell Moore, well, Rondell Moore is from Kentucky and he just went to like the same high school that Brom went to. Yeah, and that's Rondale right. Moore went to Purdue. Like Purdue, he didn't Rondell Moore didn't go to Purdue necessarily because Purdue was good. So like I'm, just imagine like a Rondell Moore from Indiana who didn't decide to go to Indiana instead, and then now Ohio State has to deal with that. I mean, we I bet you there's gotta be guys in the 2022 class who are in Indiana and have Ohio State offers and also have Indiana offers. And if we talk to three of them mm-hmm. this week and say, what are you thinking? When your home state school is good, what does it do? And again, we talked, I mean, it's one of those things. I mean, winning matters. It's just how much does it matter, I think, is, is really the thing. So, okay. Thanks to everybody. Samson James. Samuel's a good example. Samson James was an Ohio State. He's from Indiana, committed to Ohio State, went flipped back to Indiana, and they kept him home. And that did matter. He plays for them. He's not a huge part of their offense. He plays for them. But if you start stacking them, Right. I mean, that's a, that's that's one good example. But if you start stacking Samson James's, then then maybe you have something. All right. That's our postgame podcast. We will be back on Monday with our Monday Madness wrap around na- the national scene. You know, we'll see what happens with Wisconsin and, and Michigan on Saturday night. Um, talk a little bit more about that. And then we are we are off and running and analyzing this Ohio State Indiana game this week. Keep up with us about all the stuff going on with covid. This, uh, just, I think it ended up 15 games, I think, wound up being postponed or canceled from this weekend. So we'll keep following that story. We'll see how that goes. But we're going to keep digging in on Ohio State football. Ohio State basketball is starting to do interesting stuff. We have coverage on that. Recruiting coverage. If you want to be a texter and be able to join stuff like this in the Zoom with us, get texts about the team, 614-350-3315. Drop the reviews at Apple Podcasts and read cleveland.com slash OSU. Thanks for hanging in on this Saturday. For Nathan and Steven and all of our great texters in the Zoom with us, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.